This week on Geek Explained, inspired by my adventures with Superman and Adventures of Superman John Kent, we're diving into the multiverse as I count down my top five Superman Elseworld stories. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is partly inspired by some really great Superman media. Uh, this past week was a phenomenal episode of My Adventures with Superman, the animated series that has been taking the world by storm. And also, we recently wrapped up a multiversal story with my advent, or not my adventures, but just adventures of Superman, John Kent. And alongside that, there's been a lot of multiversal shenanigans going on when it comes to both comics, TV, film, all that stuff. So I wanted to sit down and rather than talk about just one Superman Elseworld story, I figured I'd talk about my five favorite Superman Elseworld stories. So that's what I'm going to be focusing on today. Also, speaking of my adventures with Superman, we do have our latest weekly review on that episode of my adventures with Superman. And boy, do I have a lot of stuff to talk about with that episode. Oh, it was so good. Uh, we also have, of course, this week's comics countdown, where I'll be chatting you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. Besides that, the only thing I really want to talk about uh, for a second is the announcement that we got recently, as of this recording, that Jason Aaron is coming back to DC Comics. Uh, we haven't seen Jason Aaron working at DC, I think, since he... Because he got to start at Vertigo. And we talked about this when we interviewed him last year. But um, he's been a fan of those characters for a very long time. And he's coming back to DC to write a Batman story. But not just a Batman story, a cosmic Batman story. This is going to be a young Batman heading out and dealing with otherworldly um, threats and creatures. I'm really excited about this. It is going to be incredible. The art is by uh, Doug Monkey, who is a big-time favorite on this podcast. So really excited about all of that stuff. Um, as we've talked about before, uh, Jason Aaron, one of my favorite comic book writers, we got the incredible chance to interview him last year at the uh, conclusion of Days of Thunder. Still one of my favorite things we've ever done for the podcast. And I just, I'm really excited about this. I've missed Jason Aaron. It's granted, it's a very short sabbatical since he uh, jumped off of uh, the Avengers run that he concluded at the beginning of this year, I believe end of last year, fairly recently, but he's been killing it on the, um, on the self-publishing or the uh, creator-owned with Once Upon a Time at the End of the World. Uh, Jason Aaron's just everywhere now, so I'm really excited about this. I know it's another Batman book, blah, but I I can't hide my enthusiasm. I can't hide my excitement for two creators that I really, really, absolutely adore working on one of my favorite types of Batman stories, a young Batman story. So it's going to be great. But 
With all that out of the way, without further ado, let's dive into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, as I count down my top five Superman Elseworld stories. Throughout the multiverse, there is one constant. Doomed planet, desperate scientists, last hope, kindly couple, Superman. Throughout his entire comic book history, Superman has been the waypoint for DC Comics. Usually, and this isn't technically always true but nine times out of ten if superman is doing well dc comics is doing well and so dc has been very protective of that ip has been very protective of the image of superman the, the guy that shows up on lunchboxes that kids aspire to be that goes around saving the world no matter how much needs to be saved and superman Throughout most of DC Comics, with the, you know, offhanded exception of a new 52 here and there, has had a pretty consistent story. He was sent from Krypton, landed in Smallville, grew up under the Kents, and became Superman. But that's not always the case. In fact, in a wide multiverse, some things go wildly different. And that is what we are focusing on this week in the main event where I am going to count down my top five Superman Elseworld stories. Now, this was inspired by a couple things. Um, the Adventures of Superman John Kent comic, which originally kind of posited John as this protector of the multiverse Superman, which I loved as an idea. I thought the idea of making him kind of the multiversal protector while Superman was the protector of his Earth was a wildly inventive idea. However, the execution of it hasn't been great. I still think that there's a lot that you can glean from this initial uh, John Kent series, and I don't know if this is continuing or if that was just supposed to be a miniseries. Who knows? But throughout the uh, throughout the years and throughout my comic book fandom, there have been stories of the multiverse when it comes to Superman all over the place. My favorite Superman run, the Rebirth run, has a very fun multiverse story right around the 1314 issue mark, and it's phenomenal. It's amazing, and it kind of gives you the the bare-bones introduction to just what you can do with telling stories across different realities with the Man of Steel. And that also includes the most recent episode of My Adventures with Superman, where we dipped back into the multiverse in a variety of ways. And I'll talk about that more when we get to this week's uh, weekly review. But it inspired me to look at some of my favorite uh, alternate Superman stories of things that could have changed and, you know, what was. 
And it's funny looking at this. I've got my my five plus a few honorable mentions. But before I get into any of this, I have to get this out of the way because if I don't up front, you're going to be yelling at me throughout the entire episode, throughout the rest of this. And I want you to save your voice. I, 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 I care about your vocal cords. I'm a voice actor. I'm a podcaster. Your voice is very important. But right up front, just so you know, just so you're not anticipating it, there is no secret identity on this list. And it's not out of spite. It's not out of malice. It's not out of me not liking the story. I haven't read the story. Uh, It's one of my big blind spots when it comes to Superman comics. And I would love to read it and cover it one day. There's just a lot of comics to be read right now. So if you would like me to do an episode on Secret Identity, let me know. Sound off, whether it's on Twitter, at GeeksplainedPod, uh, whether it's through email, geeksplained.gmail.com. Let me know, because I know this is a beloved story. Kurt Busiek is one of the best creators to ever tackle the man of steel and i would be very very you know interested to see uh how many people are interested in me covering that but just wanted to get that out of the way uh it's a great story from what i hear but i haven't read it so in good faith i can't put it on my list and to that point this is my list this is not your list this is not the objective top five list this is just my list this is just my opinion off of the comic books that i've read if you would like to tell me what your favorite superman elseworld story is feel free to let me know i would love to have that conversation with you but without further ado let's dig into this list starting off with the honorable mentions Now, these are in no particular order, but they're just kind of the ones that I had there. Actually, weirdly, I I didn't realize that I did this, but they're weirdly in chronological order of release date. But the first one I've got is Speeding Bullets from 1993. This was written by J.M.D. Matias with art by Eduardo Barreto. Uh, This is Superman as Batman. Uh, Basically, the idea behind this is instead of landing in Smallville with the Kents, Superman lands just outside of Gotham and grows up with the Waynes. Uh, He is named Bruce. His parents are killed in the alley. He becomes Batman for a bit, just with all of Superman's powers. And then by the end of the story, he becomes the Superman that we all know and love. What all happens in between that? You're going to have to read the story, but it's a great story. It's It speaks to the kind of stories that you can tell with the Elseworlds line. That's why I love the Elseworlds line, um, but it's definitely one of the most famous, and it's a great story to boot, so it's definitely one that I had to put on here. Uh, the next one is Earth One from 2010, the first the first volume uh this is written by j michael straczynski with art by shane davis and this was kind of the blueprint for man of steel now it's a combination of this and birthright my favorite superman story it might i might go so far as to say i'd have to think about it um it's it's one of those stories where it's like, okay, the Earth One line was set up to kind of be DC's Ultimates line before it just wasn't. And having J. Michael Straczynski, who is a phenomenal writer, he's going to be, I mean, he's taking up the mantle for Captain America later this year. Uh, he knows Superman, and he does a great job writing Superman. This one I've never loved, but I did appreciate when it was coming out for just the swings that it took to make Superman feel more alien, which again was later aped by Zack Snyder later on for the uh, for the DCEU. 
good story, not my favorite, but it's definitely warrants a place on the list. And then the last one, this might be kind of cheating, it's Deceased from 2019, uh, written by Tom Taylor, art by Trevor Harrison. Uh, This is not technically just a Superman story, but across all three installments, uh, it's Deceased, Deceased Dead Planet, Deceased War of the Dead Gods, um, War of the Undead Gods. Uh, It really does show not just Superman in some of the most heartbreaking and emotional scenes that we've ever seen for the Man of Steel. It also showcases John and gives us a version of the character that I really, really dig. Um, This is one of the best examples of Superman heroism that you can find in comic books. So give this a read if you haven't already. I know Tom Taylor's kind of the the easy person to hate right now. What is it with DC and Tom's? But I still really enjoy Taylor as a writer, and I do think that he has a unique voice for Superman, and it's a voice that I really appreciate. But that is all of the honorable mentions out of the way. Let's get into this list. Top five, let's get into it. The first one, and number five, might not be immediately on your radar. And it's interesting that I brought up, you know, the... It's interesting, like, I don't plan and outline these episodes. But it's interesting that, you know, we brought up DC East and John Kent because the first story on this list is Son of Superman from 1999. This is Howard Chaikin and David Tishman writing with art by J.H. Williams III and Mick Gray. This might be the most unknown. I mean, it's the most unknown of the uh, books on this list for sure. But this might be the least famous Elseworlds story that Superman has ever uh, had. I will let you know, I had not heard of this story, but... When I was doing my research for it and going through my list, I found this, I read this, and it's incredible. Uh, The synopsis goes like this. With Superman being assumed dead for 15 years, Superman's son, John Kent, suddenly awakens to his extraordinary powers and his real identity and goes in search of his mother Lois Lane and the secret behind his father's disappearance. It's a John Kent story. Over a decade before we were getting John Kent stories. And I just think that's super cool. This is the original John Kent. And even though, you know, Superman having a son isn't really a, you know, a a novel concept by 1999, uh, this was a unique story. And at the time, this was kind of Batman Beyond, but with Superman. Um, Just take JLU's epilogue out of it. But... John Kent, normal high school kid, finds out he's got powers. The world that he lives in, essentially run by Lex Luthor, the Justice League are these, is this fascist team that is more or less kind of controlled by Lex. Uh, They've got the slick uh, X-Men 2000 black leather costumes with just like a symbol. It's all of the stuff that we don't like about the modern militarization of superheroes, but done a couple decades before that became a real problem. And I really dig this story. Uh, You see him kind of get used to his powers. You see John grow into finding out, oh my god, my dad's Superman. My mom's Lois Lane. Holy shit, I gotta go figure this out. What happened to dad 15 years ago? It's just a really great story with 
take some really unexpected turns. Uh, the character moments are there. The narrative is really good. The costume. The costume. I mean, everybody makes fun of Smallville for the jacket costume. But here, the jacket costume really works. You just gotta slap a cape on it. It it's fantastic. I really dig the art. Obviously, J.H. Williams III, we talked about this during the GMO uh, season of the book club. J.H. Williams is phenomenal. Really, really great art. Also, art by Mick Gray. Really good stuff. It's just, it's a great, great story. And I absolutely would recommend it because I don't think many people know that it exists. And I will say I was one of those people for a good long while. But now that I do, now that I've read it, you should read it too. Now, going from the least famous one to probably the most famous example of Superman Elseworld stories, at number four, we have Red Sun from 2003, written by Mark Millar with art by Dave Johnston, Andrew Robinson, Walden Wong, and Killian Plunkett. And again, this is the one that everybody points to when you say, oh, what's a good Superman Elseworld story? Or for some people, what's a good Superman story? Which... We have we have we have problems. We have an issue with that. But uh, this this story is kind of the classic, the standard bearer, the most fascinating. I think just on a on paper standpoint, like here here's the synopsis: strange visitor from another world who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, as the champion of the common worker, fights a never-ending battle for Stalin, socialism, and the international expansion of the Warsaw Pact. Doesn't sound familiar? Well, in this Elseworlds tale, a familiar rocket ship crash lands on Earth carrying an infant who will one day become the most powerful being on the planet. But his ship doesn't land in America. Get this, he's not raised in Smallville, Kansas. Instead, he makes his new home on a collective in the Soviet Union. He lands in the Soviet Union during the height of the Cold War, and he becomes the biggest superpower in the world. And you get to see how much this one small change really affects the entire world. We get to see Lex Luthor become almost this great American hero in response to this. There's a great take on Bizarro that I really love. Uh, there's even, I mean, look, there are... There's a lot to be said about the current political climate with Russia, with all of the really bad stuff that's going on right now, but, I mean, it tells a hell of a story. I have, I have been a big fan of historical fiction for a very long time, and getting to see how Superman being in the Soviet Union would affect the way the world works is fascinating to watch. So you get to see this comic where Superman, you know, become, you know, grows up under the ideals of Stalin. He gets to meet the ambassador from Themyscira, Diana, and the two of them become intertwined. You get to see this Russian Batman who is basically this freedom fighter. It's a really great story and you get to see this really cool twist at the end which they didn't really do. 
in the animated feature, even though the animated feature is great. Um, it's just an overall good story. It's a classic for a reason. People like it for a reason, and I absolutely understand that. Um, there is a... There's a there's something to be said about the whole evil Superman trope, and I have said it a lot in that I think it sucks, and there's a reason that Injustice is not on this list, but I, I truly do believe that you can find, even in the darkest Superman stories, if they're written well the hints of Superman's heroism, and those will always bubble to the surface. And it does indeed in this story as well. Um, you know, when we look at the grand scope of Mark Millar's work, it's, you know, it's it's a story of ups and downs, right? And mostly downs. But every so often, when you look for it, deep, 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 deep down in the haystack, you can find a really nice Superman-shaped needle, and oh boy, is it really good. Because it reminds you that, oh yeah, Mark Millar can write good stuff. Uh, it doesn't always happen, but, you know, he's he's got an interesting take on Superman, and I have to respect him for that. Uh, the art is also phenomenal. Really love how it shows the passage of time, the different eras, the costume changes. Really good stuff. I'm a big fan of the art in this book. Uh, if you haven't read it, I'm shocked because I feel like everybody's read it at this point. But this is the definition of an Elseworlds story. When someone even... Even if you aren't looking specifically at Superman Elseworlds story, so when someone says, what's an Elseworlds story? Red Sun is usually the one that comes up immediately. So there's a reason for it. It is an instant classic. It is one of the best alternate Superman stories. And there's a reason that the character keeps coming back in you know, multiversal crossovers. Anytime someone talks about the multiverse, he's always there. And then you get to see all of the permutations of the character uh, kind of through that reflective lens. Really great story. Could not recommend it enough. Next up, we have at number three, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow from 1986. This is written by Alan Moore, art by Kurt Swan. This was billed as the last Superman story. And in my view, it's one of the greatest. Synopsis goes like this. And the then future... Of 1997, Daily Planet reporter Tim Crane pays a visit to the former Planet reporter Lois Lane Elliott, hoping that she, as the last person to have seen Superman alive, can shed some light on the mystery of the Man of Steel's disappearance ten years ago. Now, this story tells the end of the Silver Age through the lens of its most famous hero, Superman. And it's one of those really interesting think pieces, obviously Alan Moore, there's going to be a lot of that, about the idea of Superman versus time, Superman versus the passage of time, Superman versus what does it mean when the world has passed you by and you failed to adapt. It's... The, it's this ode to the Silver Age, it's this ode to a bygone era, and we get to see through the lens of this story what would have happened to this character if we didn't get stuff like Crisis on Infinite Earths, if we didn't get the several different soft reboots that kind of made the Silver Age disappear. 
Uh, I know that Grant Morrison and their run on Batman, you know, goes with the idea that everything matters, everything happened. But they also did kind of a cheat where all of the Silver Age was this chemically induced hallucination. (laughs) And I don't know if you can explain that away for Superman as easily as you can for Batman, but it is fascinating to me that for a writer who loves Superman as much as they do, they never tackled a story like this. They never tackled a way to explain how the Silver Age happened. Because when many people look at the Silver Age, they think of Silver Age Superman, the Blue Boy Scout. And I I would say almost equally with Batman, with all of his silly hijinks, the costumes, the Joker, all of that stuff, they are really the world's finest representation of the Silver Age. And this is where we get a lot of the Superman that people associate with the character, all the traits, you know, the... Boy Scout personality, the infallible, uh, the infallible character of Superman, the he can never do wrong, he always wins, might equals right, all of this stuff came from the Silver Age. And things were, at least in comic books, a lot simpler during that time. And what I love so much about this story is that they show that Silver Age end. This is not unlike, I believe, James Robinson wrote uh, JSA uh, The Golden Age, where they show the end of The Golden Age, and it's a really slow, uh, painful process. It is a very quick and painful process in whatever happened to The Man of Tomorrow, but it is no less jarring and sad. Uh, And I think it comes together mostly, for me at least, because of the art. The artist on this is Kurt Swan, who was the Superman artist for the Silver Age. From the from like the mid to late 40s all the way through the 70s, Kurt Swan was synonymous with Superman. And having him be the guy to draw the end of his version of Superman was a masterstroke. Because we very rarely get to see a creator able to give his creation an ending. Now, Kurt Swan didn't create Superman, I know that, but he created the platonic ideal of Superman for decades through his art. His art is used everywhere. I just watched a video by Watchtower Database where they were talking about the design of Superman in JLA or JLU and the Justice League cartoon and the DCAU and the JLU Superman was very much, at least in that first season, influenced by Kurt Swan's art. So even decades after his run had ended, he was still influencing the design of Superman. If that doesn't tell you the kind of power that a creator has and should have, I don't know what will. But giving the opportunity for a creator who, you know, made this version of a character iconic and allowing them to put that character to bed is you you very rarely see it and i really appreciate that through this uh, kurt swan's also able to kind of stretch himself during the silver age you know we had the comics code authority and so things were very restricted and in whatever happened to the man of tomorrow you can tell that this story did not abide because there is some truly heinous shit that happens in this story that kurt swan absolutely just chef's kiss really delivers on both in hopeful moments and sad moments there's this 
famous panel that I always come back to where it's the night before the final battle of the story and Superman is crying. And it's just, I can vividly see that panel without even having to actually see it because it's so burned into my memory. It's a wonderful story. And that's not even talking about Alan Moore, who say what you will, and we have several times on this podcast about Alan Moore and his view on comic books. He knows how to write a freaking Superman story. He really does. We've got whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. We've got for the man who has everything. Alan Moore knows and loves Superman. At least he did for a time. And this character, this version of the character, is really interesting for Alan Moore to have chosen in in the mid-1980s, which was still, you know, in the prime of the Bronze Age, of everything being dark and gritty, and Alan Moore wanting to say, okay, but what happened to the character who was about truth, justice, and the American way, and was having laughs and rescuing cats out of trees? What happens when that man watches the world change around him? It's just, it's incredible. I love this story. It is immensely sad, but it also has one of the most hopeful endings of a Superman story. And like I said before, even in the darkest Superman stories, hope should shine through, and that is exactly what happens here. It's a beautiful ode to a bygone era and is absolutely a worthy spot on this list and a worthy story for the last story of the Silver Age Superman. I absolutely love it. At number two, and this is splitting hairs here, right? Um, These next two stories are two of the greatest Superman stories ever, period. I don't know what to tell you if you've never, you know, enjoyed these stories because they absolutely get what and who Superman is at a fundamental level. But here we go. At number two, and these are interchangeable. You can switch them up at any day. I I will probably switch them up depending on the day. But today, at number two, I have All-Star Superman from 2005, written by Grant Morrison, art by Frank Quitely. This is the gold standard for Superman stories. This is what would happen if someone said, hey, we want someone who fundamentally understands everything that Superman is about to tell the last great Superman story. And Gmo went out and frickin' did it. Alongside Frank Quietly, the two of them are this incredible team that I never get sick of. And they churned out the iconic Superman story. Synopsis goes like this. The Underverse, ruled by Bizarros. The time-eating chronovore. Jimmy Olsen, superhero? Nothing is impossible in all-star Superman. Except for the fact that Superman is dying. Now with time running against him, the Man of Steel must tie up loose ends and make sure he leaves the Earth better than he found it. This is definitive Superman storytelling. This is... The iconic Superman story. The cover of Superman, where he is sitting on the clouds observing the world, is one of the most famous Superman images of all time. There is a reason that this story is being adapted, partially at least, into this new Superman legacy movie. Which again, I am 
absolutely stoked about and I cannot wait to get more info on. But you might be thinking, you know, you've talked about how this might be one of your favorite, if not your favorite Superman stories. Why is it at number two? It's because I truly do think that, and again, interchangeable with this and number one, but I absolutely love this Superman story, but in my mind, there is a bit of a disconnect. I recognize that this is under the All-Star label. I recognize that this is an Elseworld story. I recognize that when they reprint this, they reprint this under the DC Black label, which is the new Elseworlds. But this is still my ending for a Superman story. This is still how I picture the ending of a Superman story. So it's hard for me to look at this as an Elseworlds when I know that eventually my Superman is going to get to this. And I, you know, that might be reductive, that might be, you know, a little closed-minded, but I have a hard time looking at this as an alternate Superman story when this is my Superman. This is the Superman that I grew up on. This is the Superman that I think of when I hear the name. This is the Superman that I associate with the idea of that character. This is the platonic ideal of that character. For me, full stop. And I love this story. Going through the the feats, having to, you know, figure out what happens when the unstoppable force meets the immovable object to solve the sphinx's riddle to do all of these great feats before he dies in this effort to leave the world better than he found it it is true blue superman storytelling and it's a story that i have definitively said will never cover on this podcast i I don't believe that I have it in me to cover this story on my podcast because it is a story that I hold so near and dear to my heart that A, I don't ever believe that I would do it justice, and B, I am terrified to cover this story on the show for fear of not being able to properly articulate how much I love this story. I will never cover this on the podcast. If you, if I do cover this, it will be the last episode. I love this story that much that this is kind of like my white whale of wanting to keep a safe distance from it because that's how much I love the story. I love this so much that I'm willing to sacrifice the content, the clicks, the listens because I have a reverence for this story because of what it represents. And what it represents to me is everything that I love and cherish about the character. It is everything that I can put in a little bottle, set it on a shelf, in a soft trade or hardcover paperback format, and I can have it forever. If there's one comic that I have always handed to people who say they don't get Superman, I give them this story. I don't think it's great for your fir- for your fir- bleh, for your first Superman story, but I do think it's maybe the best Superman story because it just gets the character. The art is stunning. A lot of people I don't know why, but recently in the last couple of years has been bagging on Frank Quitely for some reason. And I don't understand that because Frank Quitely's art is immaculate. We talked about it full stop several times during our Gmo Batman talk during the uh, Explain Book Club earlier this year. But if you needed another, you know, another drop in the bucket, if you needed another vote in the tally, I'm pro Quitely. 
okay? Quietly knows how to draw Superman and knows how to draw Clark Kent because that is a very big distinction. People don't always realize that you need to draw Superman and Clark Kent visually distinct from each other, though having, of course, the DNA because they are the same person, but enough to the point that other characters in that story wouldn't recognize them and quietly just gets it. Quietly just gets it. Does all the stuff that I love about, you know, Tim Sale's Superman, which is a Superman that I absolutely adore, even though Matt Draper convinced me that he looks like a thumb, uh, quietly knows how to draw a visually stunning and impactful Superman. And I will always think of Quietly's art when I think of definitive Superman designs. And... I think we've we've waxed poetically about Gmo's love for characters, love for DC Comics, love for Superman. But it is difficult for me to really say anything that hasn't already been said about how much I love Gmo's take on Superman because they decided to say, "Hey, Superman is just like us. He just does things on a macro level." And taking that idea unlocked something in my brain and has unlocked several people that I know's brain while reading this story. Um, a couple, you know, a couple deep, dear friends of mine I've given the story to who didn't get Superman before, and all of a sudden, boom, they get it. And it means the world to me that a story that I love is so beloved by other people. And... I just think that there's a reason that this story is being talked about. There's a reason that the story continues to be talked about. There's a reason that the story is getting picked up by, you know, this new DC Studios that are, you know, as far as we know, intent on telling stories that take the characters to a place that everyone knows and loves. And if James Gunn sticks the landing with this story, whoo, buddy. It's going to be a good one for sure. Also, speaking of movies, the All-Star Superman movie is great. It does, you know, upon rewatch and after you read the comic, because I will let you know, I watched the movie before reading the comic. And I, I mean, there's no comparison, right? The comic blows the movie out of the water, not to be (laughs) hipster about it. But like, I love that comic. It is one of my favorite comics of all time. It might be my favorite comic of all time. And it's just, it's it's a masterclass. It's a masterpiece. It's Sam Raimi's forgotten masterpiece. Uh, that one was for Duck. But I, I, I love this story. And there's nothing to, you know, there's nothing to not love about it. And so when you look at, this story as this ideal of what Superman is as this unchangeable, unmovable character who can be, who can, you know, change the course of mighty rivers will not be stopped. If this is the ideal of Superman, why is it at number two? Well, for me, I also like to see my characters and my heroes challenged. And I would love to look at a story that has an Elseworlds title tell the story of what happens when Superman is moved. And that's what we get with our number one pick, Kingdom Come. From 1996, this is written by Mark Wade, art by Alex Ross. 
I mean, you had to know that this was coming, right? You had to know that this was somewhere on the list. It's one of the greatest stories ever told. And I know that people throw that around a lot for a lot of different things. I hear people say literally all the freaking time, like, oh, man, Superman Red Sun is the greatest Superman story ever told. And I again, you, you need to get your head checked. But, like, I... Man. Kingdom Come is not just a great Superman story. It is a great comic book story. And it's not just a great comic book story. It is a great story. When you talk about stories that kind of transcend the medium that they're in, Kingdom Come is one of those stories. And that's not in any way to disparage comic books or the medium that they are because obviously I love comics or I wouldn't have done 265 episodes of a podcast mostly committed to comic books. But I adore this story for the simple reason of showing what Superman means. And not just to me. Not just to Mark Wade, but what Superman means at his core. Synopsis goes like this. In the near future, the DC Universe is spinning out of control. The new generation of heroes have lost their moral compass, becoming as reckless and violent as the villains they fight. The previous regime of heroes, the Justice League, returns under dire circumstances, which sets up a battle of the old guard against these uncompromising protectors in a conflict that will define what heroism truly is. This, if I had to boil this down to a single phrase to describe this to you, this is Superman versus the modern age. And that might be oversimplifying it. That might be reductive in the way that this isn't really a versus story so much as it is a story of evolution, so much as it is a story of change. But... If I had to look at it and say, what is the story about? It's Superman having to deal with the passage of time, just like with whatever happened, but in a very different way. Because we we see in whatever happened this breakdown of an era over the course of a day. And what we see in this story is the breakdown of heroism over a long stretch of time. And I mean a long stretch of time. Long enough that Superman grows a sick ponytail. And if you don't think Superman looks good in the ponytail, I don't know what to tell you. You have bad taste and you should feel bad. But no, in all seriousness, like I love Superman in Kingdom Come. Like there is a... I think there's something to be said about the oh, dark and gritty Superman. The Superman the Superman logo from Kingdom Come is one of the... It might be just as, if not more, iconic than the regular Superman S-Shield. And there's a reason for that. Because this story, even though some people like to take it as, oh, this is Superman being dark and gritty. This is the Superman we want. This story and what it does with Superman is one of the greatest redemption stories i've seen in my lifetime it just it just is uh and that's not anything to take away from the other characters that show up in the story this isn't isn't just a superman story but it is a superman focused story because everything that happens is pushed forward through the efforts 
of Superman. Um, this is a very Superman-esque story and the idea of this character has to face down the exact antithesis of his ideals. And we, in this story, unlike many other stories before it, we get to see him break. We get to see what happens when Superman is turned away and how Superman deals with the passage of time and him being left behind. I love this story. Old Man Superman is just as, uh, for me, just as compelling as Young Superman. And I absolutely love his character arc of, across this. Obviously, the main character of this is Norman McKay who is this uh, pastor at a local church visited by the specter and the two of them get to see essentially the end of the world. But we also get to see this new modern, uh, this modern superhero landscape, which is not unlike the modern landscape of comic books today. And we get to see the old guard have to reconcile with that. Uh, also best wonder woman design full stop. No questions. It just is period. Uh, we also get to see characters come back. The, the Alan Scott Green Lantern gets his sick Emerald Knight armor, which always looks dope as hell. Wally West, uh, the design for him here is incredible. He's the Flash. He never stops moving. He is incredible. And it's not just because he's wearing a sick Mercury helmet, which reminds me of Jake Eric, but... I do love that we got so much from this story. Uh, th this this story is so iconic that they brought the character back for a run with the JSA. That's how much this character is beloved. Um, we get the you know the the Red Robin design come the the good Red Robin design. Let me be clear, uh, comes from this comic. You know we get to see the clash between Superman and Captain Marvel slash Shazam slash the Captain. In this story, which I love, uh, the the Bruce Wayne here in his little uh, robo skeleton exoskeleton had his back broken. Uh, the Mecha Bat armor is sick; it rules. We get to see the proper end game, which is Dick Grayson and Starfire. And I will not apologize for being a Dick Corey lover. I will not apologize for shipping Starfire and Nightwing because they are the one true pairing. You can fight me on the moon. I will meet you there. But this also gives us, again, what I love, this story about what happens when Superman has to refind his faith. And not just in a, you know, religious sense, and not really in a religious sense at all for Superman himself, but in a sense of I lost my way because I was unwilling to change. I was unwilling to adapt. And I need to find myself in this story. And we get to see Superman make mistakes. They make a freaking gulag for the villains that they capture, for God's sake. It's terrible. But we also get to see Superman reconcile with that. We get to see Superman in his weakest moment when he thinks all of their heroes are dead because of a nuclear strike. Him make the choice because of a common man. And at his core... At, what's, at his core, at what Superman represents across all of these other multiverses is he is a farm boy raised by a kindly couple and learned to be Superman through the teachings of John and Martha Kent. That's it. 
That's all you need to know for a good Superman story. And this is him refinding that. This is him becoming... This is not... So a lot of these stories involve uh, different versions of Clark Kent becoming Superman in different ways. This is Superman becoming Clark Kent. And that is the biggest ringing endorsement that I can give for this story. It tells a story of why superheroes, and Superman for that matter, still matter in the modern age, but also why characters like Clark Kent matter, why people matter, and why at the heart of superhero stories, there should always be people, because that is what they are there for. I love this story. I love Kingdom Come. For me, it's the best example of an Elseworlds story. It is the most iconic, I think. Um... It's just, it is the gold standard for a reason when it comes to Elseworld stories. It's also beautifully drawn. I mean, I don't need to, I, the only thing I need to tell you is Alex Ross, and you know how gorgeous this book is, but the iconography for this story is off the charts. Like, this is, when I tell you that the main re- one of the main reasons that I love 2015 Secret Wars is because Assad Ribic's art reminded me of Alex Ross's Kingdom Come art, that is all you need to know. Se- Secret Wars 2015 is the greatest Marvel event ever. And Kingdom Come, for me personally, is right up there as a story. It's just beautifully drawn, beautifully written, I've waxed poetically on my love for Mark Wade, so I won't repeat myself here. But I love Wade's take on the character. I love the art by Alex Ross. And I love that this story pushes the boundaries of what you can tell as an Elseworlds story while also winding up exactly where it needs to be. The best Elseworlds stories understand the character. The best Elseworlds stories understand that... He isn't just the last hope of desperate scientists from a doomed planet. He is also the product of a kindly couple. He is the product of his upbringing. He is the product of the truth, justice, and the hope for a better tomorrow. And across all the multiverse, no matter his identity, no matter what hardships he goes through, no matter how much his background changes across every single Earth in these 52 Earths and beyond, the one thing that he always is, is Superman. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And here I am reviewing episode number seven of My Adventures with Superman, entitled Kiss Kiss Fall in Portal. Uh, Obviously, I feel like this is a subtle nod to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with all of the fourth wall breaking shenanigans that Mr. Mixus Pitalik does. Uh, this was a great episode. <laughs> um, this, I mean, the show has been fantastic. It really has. I think wh- when I hear that people who aren't comic book fans are watching it and enjoying it, that's how I know that it's really doing something special here. And in this, you know, 
in this current climate of fandom where anything and everything can be, I think, either, you know, complete dog shit or the greatest thing ever. I think this is leaning towards the latter rather than the former. And there are not a lot of people, you know, at least in my circles, that I'm hearing a lot of negative when it comes to this show. I, I mean, it's doing everything right. It's got the characterization down. The action is fantastic. The art style is wonderfully anime. Um, everything It's just firing on all cylinders, and I'm really, really enjoying that. But I was curious on what they were going to do now that Lois knows Clark's secret. I still think we could have gotten at least half a season with, you know, at least another half a season without, you know, Lois knowing and maybe she finds out at the, you know, season finale. But with what they're working with, I think it's fantastic. I I really, really do. And I was interested to see if they were going to bring in more um, traditional Superman villains. We've gotten remixes on certain characters, Livewire, Heatwave, characters like that. And I mean, We've got Deathstroke, Amanda Waller, and The General, and I'm pretty sure we all know at this point who The General is, uh, looming in the background. But when I heard that it was going to be Mr. Mix's Pitalik as the main, you know, villain, I guess, or antagonist of this episode, I was giddy. (laughs) Um, I've been, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I've been watching the series with, uh, with my fiance, Sammy, and she's actually been really enjoying it as well, which is, you know, it's not always the case whenever I put something superhero-esque on. Uh, she's not as, you know, obsessive and, you know, waist-deep in superhero shenanigans as I am. So when I find something that we can both enjoy, you know, all the better. And I had to stop a couple times during the episode to kind of explain to her Mixes Pitalik's deal. And I remember very distinctly when he pops up, I was, I mean, first of all, I was over the moon. Also, the design of Mixie in this is ridiculously good. It's every kind of gin genie, you know, anime villain that you've ever seen pop up um sammy was like oh he's just a dragon ball villain i'm like yeah yeah kind of in that you know in that design uh but i told her i was like usually he looks like this and i showed her a picture of the you know the comics mixie and i mentioned that he's usually accompanied by his little purple bowler hat and i was you know i was a little sad that he didn't have a little purple bowler hat but then (laughs) He's got the purple bowler hat, and it turns into a little crowd, and it's just, it's great. It's really, really good. Uh, The way that they're able to creatively use all of the history of this character to tell the stories that they're telling is masterful. It's masterfully done. It just really is. I am consistently impressed week to week how they take things that... I know and remix them so that both Sammy, who is not a Superman connoisseur, and I, who I consider myself to be, uh, are equally able to enjoy. It's just, it's wonderful. Uh, Added to that, all of the multiversal history that we got in here, the League of Lois Lanes, uh, operating out of what looked like the Hall of Heroes for a little bit. 
which was really cool. Uh, the different Loises, the alternate Jimmy, the Jelana Olsen was really cool. The fact that they're both flame bros. Um, and then just the teases of other animated versions of the character, I thought was really freaking cool. Um, at, you know, the beginning when Mixie shows up, he turns Clark into the Fleischer Superman, the Superfend Superman, the DCAU Superman, a crab, and then back to him. And it's just cool seeing that and the acknowledgement of that. And then we find out that the the progenitor of the League of Lois Lanes was the Fleischer Lois, who was the first Lois to discover the multiverse, which of course she would be. Fleischer Lois got into shenanigans all the time in that series. And I just, I loved it. I really did. And it's giving, you know, this great multiversal story about why these Loises don't trust Clark or Superman. Uh, the ending battle where Mixie literally becomes a Dragon Ball villain, firing off energy blasts at everybody and creating portals and stuff. Uh, the way that they defeat him, I thought was really clever and creative. And then at the end, we find out that the the file that was redacted about Superman showed all of the evil Superman, including for a brief moment, Justice Lord Superman, which I was over the moon about. Uh, it's just, it's so cool. and gives that tension, right? They're doing this take on the evil Superman trope that we haven't seen before when it comes to this. I mean, I guess the closest would be with the Justice Lords and the Justice League DCAU where they were like, you could be this guy at any time. And the idea that, oh, not every Clark is as good as the Clark that we have. So what does that mean? And the fact that the little sphere that Lois gets opens up and lo and behold, there's kryptonite. And that's how Kryptonite gets introduced into the story, and I'm assuming into the world. It's just so cool, and it's so clever. The writing is astounding. I believe we are in the home stretch. Uh, I think there's only 10 episodes of this first season, which bums me out because we've only got three episodes left, and I think the next one is a two-parter. So I'm really excited. I've been loving the show from the start. I continue to love the show. Uh, even in its more, you know, intimate anime-esque moments where it's focused specifically on the romance you know how much i love that romance and you know how much i love anime so it's a perfect it's i mean it it might go down as one of my favorite if not my favorite superman depictions in animation i just i love it so much i am really hoping they stick the landing with these last three episodes but i'll tell you what i can't wait to find out so Join me next week for episode eight, but for now, let's roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's comics, we got to take a look back at last week's comics with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And I think appropriately, it was the Superman 2023 Annual. That book was so good gave us teases for everything that we're getting i'm i kind of figured what the tease would be for this big superman crossover next year but 
I'm really excited about it. Really, really excited about it. Cannot wait to see where else these books go. But that's last week. This week, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven books for you to check out. So let's dig into it with a pair of number ones to kick things off. First off, we have Dark X-Men number one. This is written by Steve Fox with art by Jonas Scharf. Scarf? I'm sorry, uh, but this is our new X-Men team, I guess, for now. Uh, this is the Madeline Pryor X-Men out of the ashes of the Hellfire Gala and the Fall of X. Very curious, with all the context now going into this, what this team is going to look like and what the function of this team is going to be. So let's go ahead and dig into the synopsis. Welcome to the Dark X-Men. Hope the world survives the experience. Following the explosive events of the Hellfire Gala, Madeline Pryor realizes the world needs the X-Men now more than ever. Havoc and Gambit have served on the team before, but never one that looks like this. And how does Gimmick, breakout star of Marvel's Voices Pride, fall under the Goblin Queen's sway? Find out in the most horrific installment of the X-Men saga yet. Yeah, I mean, we got a lot going on here. Uh, we've, I mean, we've got Azazel there, our boy Albert, Anne's favorite Albert. Uh, I just, I mean, I'm, I'm very curious. This was the book out of the announcement of the Fall of X books that I was like, hmm, I don't know about that. So we'll see. Can't wait to pick it up. But also, we have Uncanny Avengers number one. Really stoked about this one. Written by Jerry Duggan. Art by Javier Garon. I I mean, we haven't seen the Unity Squad in a long while. And this specific team, awesome. Cannot wait. Let's dig into the synopsis. The Fall of X calls for the return of the Avengers Unity Squad. Innocent people and world leaders are dead after the simultaneous attacks on the U.S. and Krakoan governments, and that means one thing. It's time for a new squad of Avengers. False flag attacks meant to whip up anti-mutant hysteria are unfolding, and hey, some of Steve Rogers' best friends are mutants. Your new Unity Squad is Captain America, Rogue, Deadpool, Quicksilver, Psylocke, and Monet. They must solve the mystery of who the new murderous Captain Krakoa is and stop his team of killers from igniting the fires of a new world war. So yeah, this is going to be the big, you know, flagship blockbuster book that's going alongside all of the, I would say, more intimate stories that are happening in Fall of X, but I mean, this team rules. The Deadpool of it all, you know, I'm neither here nor there on, but seeing Monet, Psylocke, and Quicksilver, Quicksilver back on the X-Men, I've been waiting ever since, I mean, y'all know my favorite Avengers team is the Kooky Quartet, so we're halfway there, and I cannot wait to pick this up. This is going to be awesome. Next up, we have Void Rivals number three. This is written by Robert Kirkman with art by Lorenzo De Felici, and this book's been great. The first two issues were really nice um, until we get the rest of the, you know, Energon universe. This is going to be kind of our flagship up until we get that Daniel Warren Johnson Transformers, and I've been really enjoying it so far. So let's go ahead and dig into the synopsis. Robert Kirkman and Lorenzo De Felici's new shared universe debuts a monstrous new villain. 
Fighting for their lives to return to the sacred ring, Derek and Solila face a new threat, capture. And they're not the only prisoners on this ship. Ooh, I love a prison breakout story. This is going to be a good one. Next up, we have Daredevil number 14. This is written, of course, by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Cicchetto. And this is it. This is the end of the road. This is the final issue before we get that big Daredevil, you know, special. Uh, I believe next month? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to do. This is uh, This is a lot. I think it'll be worth it to do kind of a retrospective on the whole thing once this is wrapped up. But um, yeah, I'm very curious. Let's dig into the synopsis. The end. But of what? A life? A love? A marriage? Matt Murdock's time as Daredevil? Or the greatest and gr- or the latest and greatest run in one of Marvel's most celebrated sagas? All of the above. Yeah, uh, not telling us anything, which I expected. Um, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to get here, but I'm very excited to find out. Next up, we have Hawk Girl number two. This is written by Jadzia Axelrod with art by Amonke Noelpon. Uh, The first issue was great. I already talked about it. Um, I loved that issue. The interview we did with Jadzia was awesome. Had a great time talking to her. And this book is so good. This book is so good. So let's just dig into the synopsis. Hawk Girls made a new enemy, but also a new friend. Is Metropolis's A-Town neighborhood big enough for the both of them? And, when, and will Galaxy discover the connection between Hawk Girls' nth metal wings and Volpecula's plans before it is too late? I am so excited that we're going to A-Town. Uh, we've heard about it, people have talked about it, but we are finally getting A-Town, and I cannot wait to see what it looks like. Oh, man, really excited about this. Next up, we have X-Men Red number 14. This is written by Al Ewing with art by, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to get this wrong and I apologize, uh, Yildere uh, Sinar. I, I'm so sorry. Um, but X-Men Red now dealing with the aftermath of not just the Hellfire Gala, but also Genesis showing up and laying claim to Arako. I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm really excited about that. So let's dig into the synopsis. After the fall, as the Brotherhood reels from the cataclysmic events of the Hellfire Gala, Genesis takes advantage of the chaos and declares war. Two vast mutant armies clash, and Arako's idols fall, but this is only the beginning of a conflict that will remake the Red Planet. And whatever happened to Iska the Unbeaten? Oh, we're going to get some Iska talk. I am very, very interested. This is going to be a great, great book. I mean, it already is, but I can't wait to read this. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is, of course, Batman Superman World's Finest, number 18. This is written by Mark Wade with art by Travis Moore. Travis Moore coming back. Love it. Um, And I'm really excited. This is the... You know, I don't know if this is a new arc or if this is just a one-shot, but y'all know I love my origin stories. And the cover reads, The Secret Origin of the World's Finest Team. Uh, let's dig into the synopsis. 
Think you know how Superman and Batman met and became friends? Think again! Read the untold tale of how their worlds first collided and the stunning secret loss that nearly destroyed their partnership before it even began. Yeah, this is going to be a good good. I'm really excited. I love, I already talked about earlier, but I love young Batman and young Superman stories. So to see them combined... You know this is an easy pickup for me. A book made specifically for yours truly. But that's going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we've got Dark X-Men number 1, Uncanny Avengers number 1, Void Rivals number 3, Daredevil number 14, Hawkgirl number 2, X-Men Red number 14, and Batman Superman World's Finest number 18. We've got some new series starting. We've got a series ending. But make sure your fandom doesn't end by starting your trip over to the comic book shop to pick up some great comics. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. Raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here on the podcast. You can write literally anything you want. I will be forced to read every single word. As long as you give me those five stars, the sky's the limit on what you can write. And you'll be able to join the likes of our terrific 21. That's right. We got a brand new uh got a brand new review this time coming from that logan who writes a podcast for geeks by geeks in the best way you're doing great thanks talking comics is one of life's great joys the comic medium holds a special spot in my heart as it tells stories makes metaphors and helps us dyslexic folk digest tales it does things like nothing else can this show honors the comics and highlights them for how amazing they are thank you so much uh some real good comic booking might be the best explanation on a page ever thank you for the show making the drive and daily tasks easier fun and laughs with the book club and all the episodes thanks for letting us listen in every week thank you that Logan, and thank you to all of our terrific 21, including Seafire ND, Josh Pounds to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brown, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Fire, Spider Fan, A Lock and AZ, Sass, Jedi Jesse 20, Ken 4656, Director Hall, Mullet Overlord, Invisible Man 11, Ed Likes Things, Clip 326, Ken from Norway, and now that. Logan, thank you to everyone for their reviews. I cannot wait to hear yours. Thank you so much. And again, if you want to be part of this fun-loving group, got to give us those five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. But if you want to be part of the Geeksplained mailbag, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the Wednesday show. If you'd like to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, get first notification when announcements are made for the podcast, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news that's going on, and I mean, look at where we are in the status of geek knowledge and geek culture there's a lot going on and if you want to chat with me gotta make sure you follow us on the instagram and the twitter i will not call it x uh at geeksplained pod that's at geeksplained p-o-d uh 
as I continue to try to get better at Instagram, I'm trying, I really am, and as Twitter continues to collapse right before our very eyes, those would be the places to do it. Uh, also, if you want to uh, get more Geek Explained fun this Friday and every Friday, my good brothers Malcolm, Russell Nelson, Jacob Brown, and I put on the Geek Explained Book Club, where this Friday... and for right now, every Friday in our fourth season of the book club, are currently going through every single issue of every single volume of The Flash Rebirth. This week is a big one. We are going to be covering Heroes in Crisis. Tom King, Clay Mann, Mitch Jarrods, lots to talk about. As you are listening to this, you've got just under 48 hours to send us in an email. Put Flash Fan Club in the in the subject header if you want to ask us a question or talk about Heroes in Crisis. That's going to be the place to do it. This is going to be a big one. So make sure you tune in this Friday and every Friday for the Geek Explained Book Club. Flash Fridays are a real thing, so be there or be square, not a circle. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Join us next week for a brand new episode of the Geek Explained podcast. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, I have been Eric Kazana. Thank you so much for listening. Everybody stay safe, and we will see you next time. 